Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 71 from Bangers to Knockouts. I love that title. I don't know why. I just love it. Actually, originally, this whole thing was Bring on the Bangers because a couple days ago when I was looking into doing these episodes, it was when we were starting to get all these incredible goals one after another. And then the knockout round just kind of fell on me. I've been doing a lot of work for my uh, master's program, almost getting finished. I got one last class. Excited for that. But let's talk a little bit about the Euros. We're going to look at the week that just was, the week that will be with the round of 16. But first, let's kick it off with some of the bangers, some of the real beautiful goals that got this stage of the competition really fired up. And I think one thing that's important about these big goals is it's a little sniff. That's what it is. It gives you a little bit of an understanding of what's coming. Because you'll see players, big name players or you know big teams who struggle for the first couple games. They don't really they don't really achieve much of what they're trying to do. Um, they kind of go anonymous maybe. And then you're looking at it going, well, it's now or never. And if you're going to show up and do something, you know, this is the time because or else in our minds, this is a total flop of a tournament from you. So we got to see a lot of that, which I think what that shows is that's a sign. This is when it's getting serious from here on out. You lose, you're done. So we're going to hopefully be seeing more and more moments of complete and total brilliance as we go forward. Busy week. It was definitely a busy week. And especially, you know, with the way the group stage ended, we needed to sort out who the third place teams were and everything. I mean, that was that was kind of a mess. And just trying to there were so many different eventualities that could happen that it was hard to you know really, really sort of plan. So I, I it was a lot more fun to just watch the games, see what happened, and pay attention to the scenarios. It was live just in each group's individually. But let's go through the goals. I, I want to start with the game that kicked it off. And it was a very strange one. I mean, I didn't expect it. But Switzerland-Turkey is where all of this really kicked off. The Swiss got it started. Seferovic gets a really, really nice left-footed grass cutter. Bottom far corner. Beautiful shot. And then Jerdan Shakiri does his tournament special, right? What's his tournament special? Well, it's to just have a moment of brilliance in a major tournament. And he's done it many times now. We remember the bicycle kick from 2016. He had a big, big goal in the World Cup in 2018 as well. And he's a guy who he's, he scores brilliant goals. He does. And so this time, a really beautiful curler into the top corner of the net, but with his weak foot, which we don't really see that often. Scored another really nice finish later in the game. Goalkeeper maybe could have saved it, but... The goal of the match, goodness me, Irfan Kavechi. He just pulled out one of those things that you practice, like almost as a kid, you know, when you're young, when you start to really get the hang of sort of gluing together two or three nice little moves in a row and then shifting the ball to the side and trying to go for the top corner, right? You're trying to have this whole little collection of, of moments of filth. And this was filth of the highest order. Uh, really, in, in some ways, one of the goals of the tournament. I think if you have to put a top 10 together, this one's got to be in there. Obviously, Patrick Schick is probably going to win goal of the tournament in the end. But we got some more memorable ones along the way here, too. So uh, Denmark-Russia happened. This game also contained one of those goals that I think is going to be super memorable for the rest of the tournament. Maybe two, actually, because 
Damsgaard's first goal, the goal that kicked everything off in that game, is an inc- is an incredible knuckleball. The technique he hits that so flush with the inside of his foot, and it's all about your body positioning. He's just high and standing up high enough that when when the ball leaves his foot, it actually just rises, but it has not enough power to just go over the goal. It's actually got just the right amount of power on it to start dipping. And goes basically over the goalkeeper into a scenario where he's like, there's no way that this is going in. So I'm not even going to dive to the left for it. And then next thing you know, it's it's in the top corner. And I mean, really, really incredible moment for that kid. Gets the whole day going. That game was probably my favorite to watch in the whole tournament so far. I, just everything that's gone on with this this Danish team since the beginning. All the context around it. You... You just want to be on their side. You want them to win. At least you want them to get through, right? And with the crowd on their side, it was something It was something exceptional. Poulsen scores his goal, and though that goal was total trash, I mean, goodness me, what a horrible mistake by Russia. But as soon as that goes in and he goes and celebrates in the corner, photo of the tournament right here where he's sliding on his knees and you just see the uh, like a full splash of beer all around him from like two or three cups that got thrown down right by him uh he pulled his jersey off like almost immediately after he was subbed off the field uh, i have a feeling he stank pretty bad of stale heineken at that point um but no i mean w- what an amazing photo and what an amazing moment and and then that game started to get crazy and this was Sort of, I think, one of the most interesting uh, moments in terms of in-game periods of time during this last round of games. The other being the Group F when Hungary were in the lead against Germany. I mean, that was completely nuts. But in this one, the Danes are winning 2-0. So they're doing their job. Belgium, they get the news that Belgium has taken a 1-0 lead over Finland. And so the whole crowd goes nuts. But then they find out that the goal got ruled out for VAR. And then, so they're all disappointed. And then two minutes later, they give up a penalty, Russia score it. And the whole situation in basically two minutes, the perception of what had happened had gone from, this is it. We're going to go through to, oh my God, it's all going to fall apart because I, I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm not sure Denmark would have made it through without winning and also having Belgium do the job for them because three points might not have been enough. So th- that was that was definitely just a fascinating way that game went. And then they're 2-1 up, and Andreas Christensen gets his moment. I mean, these are moments that, you know, you got to be in the right place at the right time, and then it's got to work out well for you. You just got to bring your best technique and try. Christensen's missile. Look, you, never, you could do that a million times, and even if you hit it well a bunch of times, even if you hit it strong, I mean, there's defenders kind of blocking the goalie's view. How many times do you do that? And it hits a defender's thigh and goes out for a corner kick. And everyone's like, all right, let's go, more corner. But for it to just go through everybody like an arrow, so hard that the goalkeeper can't even react. I mean, that goal was a, an absolute bomb. It, it, to hit a ball that clean feels really good. And then to see it just crash through into the net, I mean, what an amazing feeling. And then you see the... Danish players after that holding their hands to their ears because of just how loud the crowd was. So that that game so far matches the tournament to watch for me. The final goal by Mala was just really, really, really beautiful. 
counterattack, yes, he slows them up, finds a corner near post. Just a beautiful thing. But but that that was an amazing match to watch. You got the photo of the tournament. One of one of the long range one timing bombs of the tournament. Although again, Patrick Schick's was a one time effort as well. So it just like crosses off category after category after category that goal. But uh, definitely, definitely an interesting time. So Luka Modric, he gets my award for bringing out your own the special goal that you do. So. I'd like to give an example. Shout out to Ricardo Quaresma, who did his own outside of the foot Trivella bender back in the World Cup. And this is a, a shot that this guy's been known for for ages. The outside of Luka Modric's right foot is like a legendary thing in football, right? I mean, it is. So for him to score this goal and the magnitude of the game is so important because Croatia had been poor in their first two games. They really hadn't been very good and he hadn't done a whole lot. And so for him to do that, a little layoff, he hits it so hard. It's pretty much, it's still rising when it goes in the goal. Incredible strike, absolutely incredible strike. And I feel for Scotland because they conceded two of the goals of the tournament at this point. It's got to be rough to just watch teams walk by you and just hit just bangers that knock you out of the whole competition and kind of out of nowhere because Scotland really were valued. They played very well. I feel bad for them, but that was serious class coming to the fore. Got to give a quick shout out to Robert Lewandowski because before the tournament, I mentioned, look, like with Austria, Switzerland, Poland, there's certain teams that, you know, Turkey as well, certain teams that always come with a good squad, but sometimes they just kind of lay down when they play anyone just above their level. They never really punch above their weight. And a lot of the time, if those teams have a big star, they don't really show up that often because the supporting cast doesn't really give them what they're used to playing with all year. This is an issue for Robert Lewandowski. He does show up in major tournaments. He does score, but they never really, you know, really march beyond, really have a surprise run in a tournament. And I think they could have maybe gotten out of the group. I mean, they they really could have done this, but Lewandowski, RL9, just got to give him the credit for his second half. Scoring an absolutely delicious goal. Uh, I remember when he got the ball out wide and I saw it was him. I was like, just go yourself, man. Because I was thinking, don't don't try and square it to someone else. You guys just, it's up to you now. Hits the banger top corner. Gets another one a little bit later. It's just unfortunate for him because he missed a chance in the first half that I think he should have scored. Got the great header off the corner and then the rebound header. How he hit the bar on that, I'm not really sure. And Look, it's good for him to walk out of the out of the, this competition with his reputation intact. I really do think that's important because this his tournament up until this final match was not great. I mean, he did score against Spain, but that felt like the only moment. So this really got I think it solidified the fact that yeah, they need better players to surround the guy. Now, topsy-turvy end really to a slightly complicated complicated format in the group stages. It's been weird, but uh, and the way it finally ended the very final sets of games, you had the Group F games, France, Portugal, and then Hungary and Germany, and goodness, Hungary, they, they took it all the way. France, Portugal, good game, some strange refereeing decisions, sort of up and down for both teams. France awful in the first half, terrific in the second. Portugal great in the first half, average in the second. We'll see a lot more from these teams in that next round, which we'll talk about in a sec here. 
I also want to give a quick shout out to Emil Forsberg for his double as well against um, against Poland because no one really talks about this guy and he's got three goals and you know Sweden are they're they're moving they're moving ahead in this competition they've they've won their group so they, they deserve respect so now that we now let's talk about these teams let's let's go into this Belgium play Portugal in the first round of 16 game. Um, I, I'm picking Belgium in this one. I, I believe that Portugal corrected what they had wrong against Germany, which was to play with this back three. Um, basically allow wingbacks to just come cruising through because your, your, your wide players are not really defenders, right? When you play a team that plays with wingbacks as their outside players and your outside players are just forwards who won't track them, you're going to get ripped apart. They corrected that against France and showed just how solid they can be. And Portugal are a very solid team. Obviously, with Cristiano Ronaldo, they're probably never going to miss a penalty in this tournament. And I think Renato Sanchez was excellent against France. I do think they just let him get the ball too much. I mean, he's a good quality creative player. Don't let him get the ball, turn face, and start distributing and dribbling. But uh, Portugal are strong. They're really, really good. I just think there's something about this Belgian team they're just as experienced as anyone, right? We say Portugal won the Euros. Yeah, well, Belgium beat Brazil in the last World Cup. The only thing that knocked them out was a very stubborn France team who basically said, we knew that was the hardest game of the competition. Once we won that one, England, Croatia in the final, we were really confident. So I, I do think Belgium are going to have enough, and it's all starting to come together. Everyone's coming back to fitness. The confidence is growing. I, I, I'm pushing for Belgium in that one. Italy, Austria, Austria. Why? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not. No way. Italy have been way too good, and it's this is that's the thing about this pick. It's too easy because Austria, you know, they trudged through their group. They didn't. They weren't really that good. Uh, I think no, they were all right. They showed signs of promise for their team. It's been exciting. They're in the knockout rounds. No, they're playing a team that's got every single part of their game sorted out right now. I think everyone's question is what happens when Italy plays a top, top side, you know, in the next round. Well, look, I guess we'll probably find out because those two would be, you know, Belgium against Italy would be an absolutely terrific quarterfinal. I would love that. France against Switzerland, kind of similar to this Italy game. I don't really know how you can give Switzerland a whole lot of a chance aside from freak things like, you know, France don't come out rearing to go. They don't really create very many chances or score in the first half. Not much urgency. They get scored on. Second half kind of drags on. And then, well, you know, tight game. Then who knows what happens, right? But I do think if France bring the quality that they have, and one thing to keep in mind, the way Didier Deschamps structures the way the tournament move, the way they move through a tournament is their whole plan is to do a ton of fitness in the first week. They're a little bit leggy in the Hungary game. Right, They come in ready for Germany, leggy for Hungary, ready to survive Portugal. But now, according to the training schedule, it should all kick in. And this is where you should see them really physically get a little bit better. So I think that'll help a lot. Uh, they're going to have, France, I think, are going to have an issue with the left back position. If Lugadini is out, if Luca Hernandez is kind of touch and go or on the fence or maybe in yellow card trouble, I got to say, Rabio did a really good job of fitting in there. And I'd almost rather see him there because he goes forward. But we will see. I still, I, I don't know, I'm a France fan. I went on a tangent. 
on this one. I do think they'll beat Switzerland, long story short. Croatia, Spain. This one probably deserves a hell of a lot more time and attention than I just gave that I just gave to the France of Switzerland. But because this one's tasty and this one's really tough to pick. Spain, they they won't have it easy in this one. And I, it's going to be harder for them to control this match in terms of not just possession, but control overall of field position, um, control of momentum in every way, control also the other team's morale, right? If you're playing really, really well and, and wearing a team down, you know, that at some point, the floodgates open. The problem with Croatia is a team that's just so stubborn. They'll let you have the ball for a lot of the game and be able to bring genuine quality at the moments that matter. And that's what we saw against Scotland, of course, throughout 2018. Luka Modric is still alive, and he's got some critics. He uh, he answered once, and he's going to want to keep going. But I'm going to pick Spain. I know. Maybe it's a little strange. But I'm picking Spain because I don't really think there's a favorite in this game. And I think that Spain, they are going to have more control of the game and a little bit more control of the ball. And I don't necessarily think we're, we've got to look at Jared Moreno or Alvaro Morata for the goals. I think what's going to happen is they're going to find them from somewhere else. They will need to score a couple because I do think Croatia is scoring in this game. I don't think Spain keeps the clean sheet against them. That, that I, I, I think, will be a major factor. England, Germany. I think a lot of people see this one as one of the most difficult to call. I actually, look, it's not difficult for me to make a choice on this. Do I think I'm going to be right? Look, it's obviously a little bit of a toss-up. I think England have a better shot, and here's why. One, they're at Wembley, so they're at home. That helps a lot. They haven't conceded a goal yet. Germany have conceded in every game and have been just overall poor defensively for most of the tournament. I mean, if they hadn't ripped Portugal apart in an offensive style so heavily, we might have been talking a little bit more about the fact that they gave up a silly goal in that game, which people did mention. But, you know, and I mean, they conceded two against Hungary. I mean, they were down 2-1 with 10 minutes to go. It's, England have been very solid. Have they been fluent? No. Have they been, like, going through the gears and banging the goals? No. But... You know what? They know how to grind out results. And I think that this is also a stage of the tournament where some of England's sort of bigger players might actually really want to step up and show something. So I'm picking England to beat Germany. And um, and then Sweden, Ukraine. Okay, well, I would I look, I think this is a really tough call. I think these teams are absolutely right at the same level. I think that Sweden are better organized, but Ukraine have a few players. Just a couple more players than Sweden that can bring something special and sort of win you a game out of nowhere. You know, I've got they got Yarmolenko, Shaparenko. I, I, I mean, me, I absolutely love Malinovsky. Yaremchuk's a really good forward, so I, I do think that they have everything. Then on the other side, Alexander Isak and Emil Forsberg—they've been great in this competition. So I think a lot to talk about in terms of the offensive players from both teams. Robin Olsen has had a great tournament as goalkeeper, probably the best one of the tournament so far. But I think this is a great, great matchup. It's I, I'm hoping that Ukraine go for it uh, and that Sweden are open enough to try. I think these two teams are going to be cautious because they know that, you know, spot in the next round is there. And, you know, what you never know what can happen if you if you get past this first game, then you're playing with house money because of the teams you're playing against. 
So it might be a cagey affair. I'm hoping for better than that. But I'm going to pick Ukraine because I just like a lot of the technical things that they've got. Again, like I said, I don't think they're as well organized as Sweden. But in this stage of the competition, sometimes all it is is your special players coming up with a big moment. Netherlands, Czech Republic. All right, look, the Dutch have been good. And they're better. No, No doubt about it, they're better. But... As far as stubborn sides go, the Czechs have been really, really, really great at at spoiling the party. They spoiled the party like crazy in Glasgow without really being that better at all than Scotland. I think they did very well against England to grind, to, to try and stay in that game. In the end, they're not that great of a squad. They're going to be good. They're going to be solid. But I think the Dutch are going to have too much for them, really. I mean, Memphis Depay, Denzel Dumfries, Jeannie Wijnaldum, Luke de Jong, they've been, they've been very good this tournament. And I, I see Holland progressing past them. Wales, Denmark. Oh, this is a tough one to call. And I, look, as I, I am going to say, I'm going to go ahead and put it in the – I'm going to just flip it, all right? I'm going to start with I love Denmark. A lot. I'm all about this team. I want them. I mean, hell, it's almost a Leicester story at this point. I wouldn't mind they win the whole thing just because of everything they've gone through. Problem is, it's Wales, who everyone discounted in 2016, even though they showed repeatedly that they were solid enough to stay in games and that they have the quality to get goals when they need them. They have the togetherness. And I think that Denmark, they've ridden this huge, huge emotional wave. They're almost due a little bit of a dud performance. Maybe not, but but maybe as well. And Wales, they're coming into this game. They don't need they don't need to worry about controlling their emotions. They don't need to worry about anything. Just go and 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 play to your strengths. Denmark are still trying to figure out what they are, in a sense, not just without Christian Eriksen. But in such a crazy tournament, keep in mind as well, they played their first three games at home, Denmark. And this one is not going to be in Copenhagen. So, even day, unfamiliar, not not quite as familiar conditions, I'm going to go with Wales. All right, let's move on. Get away from the Euros for a little bit while I finish up this episode. Well, I want to talk about the Copa America a little bit, give an update there. Because it's like the forgotten tournament with the Euros at present because the Euros are just such a big occasion. As I said before, the fans help a lot with that. Copa America, it's just a tough thing. But the format's funny with Copa America. There's five teams in each group. You play each team, and then only the bottom team from each group gets knocked out. You go into a quarterfinal, semifinal, final. So the group stage is kind of a wash in a way. As long as you get like two wins, that's it. You're through out of your four games. But it's been tough for teams to do that. First of all, Group A, Argentina, they top it with seven points. They drew with uh, Chile, but they were able to beat Paraguay. They beat Uruguay. All that's left for them is Bolivia, who are out with zero points. Paraguay have six after they beat Chile. Chile have five. Uruguay have four. So it's tight, uh, but not really in that group because Bolivia are out and all, all those teams go through. Argentina, they will want to beat Bolivia in order to win the group, cement top spot. Group B, it's actually still a fair bit to play for. I mean, Brazil have won that group. They 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 already have their nine points and still one game to play. Colombia trail them with only four points in second place. Likely someone's going to pass Colombia, uh, but 
the good thing for Colombia is their goal difference is just good enough where I, I think it's impossible for them to actually get knocked out. I think they're secured a spot in the next round. Peru also on four points. Ecuador have two. Venezuela have two. Now, Ecuador, they have to play Brazil. Yeah, they're on two points. And Venezuela are level on points with them, but just behind by two goals difference. And they play Peru. So if, if Ecuador were to beat Brazil, very unlikely, but if they were to do that and Venezuela were to beat Peru, then Peru is out. And they're currently in third place on four points. It, it, it's it's going to be an interesting day. I, I would love to see Venezuela pull something out of the bag, get a win. If Ecuador can't do anything against Brazil, even a draw for if, if Ecuador lose to Brazil, even a draw for Venezuela against Peru would get them through. So it's pretty exciting. Once we get into the quarterfinals, the tournament legitimately starts. But um, very much hoping to see an Argentina-Brazil final. That would be amazing. Goal of the tournament so far, scored by Colombian Luis Diaz. Wow. Got up, did like, not really a scissor kick, but more like a just full-on like jump in the air, acrobatic side volley, really, really pretty. And look, the Colombians, I, I, this is a little shout-out to my buddy Phil Kramer, who's a, who's a Colombian guy, grew up in Colombia, grew up in Cali. And one of my good homies that I played with, and he was telling me, man, What's up with this? Why is Hamas not here? Because like Hamas isn't injured, but why isn't he here? So it turns out Hamas, his, what I read from multiple sources now is that it seems like Hamas was just injured periodically throughout the season, just enough where the the coach said, "You're just not fit enough for what we need in this competition." I imagine if you're Colombian, you're like, "Are you kidding me? Like, why would you not bring the guy?" And work on his fitness in these group games because you play four matches over the course of almost two weeks. Actually, over the course of two weeks, play four matches. And then you're almost guaranteed a spot in the knockout round because only one team per group goes out. So why would you not bring him, get him into the mix, get him going? I mean, this is assuming he can at some point play before mid-July. But I would be shocked if that was not possible because he was playing at the end of the season in England. So... I, that's a disappointing one for Colombia because this is a very good team and watching them lose to Brazil, that was tough. I mean, they, they, I think they were... I, I went and watched the highlights of this game because I couldn't see it live. I watched an extended thing and I was like, man, this Colombian team, they have everything it takes. They do have all the little puzzle pieces. But then you take out James and it's like, that's that little extra bit of star quality that makes everyone else around better. It makes everyone else around just that little bit more confident. And then you can go into a game against Argentina, Brazil, and not just go and give them a good run for their money, but actually beat them. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it pans out. I will say this about the goal that because um, the Colombians were really pissed about the goal that that uh, got Brazil back into the game. By the new rules, by the old rules, by any rules that have ever existed, that goal stands. Look, the old rules were the referee is like a blade of grass, like a massive blade of grass on the field. The ball hits the referee. It doesn't matter what happens. I don't even know like what would happen. If the ball hit the referee and went in the goal, it still counts, right? I mean, obviously, referees had to try and stay out of that area, but that would still count. So the new rule is just if the ball hits the referee from my team and ends up changing possession, drop ball, we get the ball back. If it hits the referee and goes back to my player, 
no advantage was lost, so we just keep the ball. What was interesting is where the ball went. It was a pass meant to go in one direction, hits the referee, goes in another. But here's the problem with what the Colombian players did. They stopped. They all stopped and looked at the referee for one second. Meanwhile, Brazil are able to set up, swing it across. That's enough time at the professional level. You know, people say you shouldn't tune out. Well, when 10 guys who are behind the ball all look at the referee and tune out for a second. And by the way, like I said, it, this was not a situation where that new rule of a drop ball for hitting the referee comes into play. So I feel for Colombia, but look, they're still alive. They can still play. Personally, I, I just, I, I don't think that anyone is going to stop Brazil before they get to the final. And I, I think that Argentina have all the solidity it, it takes to get there. And what happens when it's all said and done? I have no idea. But Copa America's heating up. Everyone keep in tune with that. Euros are back tomorrow. Round of 16 starts. We'll see how everyone's picks go. All right. Enjoy your day. This is Campfire Football. Take it easy.